We're going to be in the book of Proverbs once again, and, and we are going to cover the subject of alcoholic beverages and, and what God's Word has to say on that and the wisdom He has for us. Before we begin, I just uh, I do want to uh, thank everyone who is uh, involved in setup and, and really making everything happen in the service. I mean, today is another reminder of those things that, man, if we don't have people helping and serving, uh, this is we wouldn't be able to to put this all together and so many technical difficulties, but all those things are a wonderful, gracious reminder that, man, every member in the body of Christ is absolutely essential and important and contributes to the overall functioning of the ministry of Summit Bible Church. So I'm grateful for all of you, and we can be grateful for the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace that we have in Jesus Christ. So with that being said... You can turn to Proverbs chapter 3, and if you're using a Bible that we provide, that's page 528. And again, because we are studying a topic, we will hop around a little bit, but we're not having, uh, there are not going to be as many passages in Proverbs that we're going to look at, so I think you will uh, easily be able to flip from one to the next and follow along. But of course, as always, they're on the screen for your convenience. So as I said, we're going to consider God's wisdom for us in Proverbs. And I said concerning alcoholic beverages, that would be concerning wine and beer and any other fermented drink or alcoholic beverage. And, and we'll be, begin by looking at, and we're going to be in chapter 3 first, we're going to look at two references to wine in the opening section of the book of Proverbs, the, the first nine chapters, this opening foundational section, and there are two uh, references that we're going to look at in here related to the subject. And neither of these passages are going to give us direct instructions about wine, but the way in which both of them present wine is important for us to consider in order to gain insight on this very subject. So some of God's Word is direct instruction, and some is description that gives us either examples or implications that we can apply to our daily lives and apply His wisdom and learn from His wisdom. So that very first reference is in verse 10, and we're going to look at verses 9 and 10 in chapter 3. And, and here, we're going to see that wine is identified as a blessing of God, a blessing of God. Starting in verse 9, and maybe you'll remember this a while back, we worked through these nine chapters and we had covered this passage. But Solomon writes this, verse 9, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Now, the Israelites were commanded by God to give the earliest and the, the best portions of their produce, including their grape harvest, to Him as an act of worship and as an expression of gratitude, as a way of acknowledging and recognizing that everything came from His hand, ultimately. And if they were faithful to obey God in this area, if the, if the Israelites were faithful to obey Him in this area... And his law in general, remember, they're under the law of Moses, the law of God, that's the old covenant. 
If they're faithful to obey, He promised to bless them with tremendous abundance. And if we turn to Leviticus 26, and that'll be up on the screen as well. Leviticus 26, 3-5, we see in the law, in the, the Old Covenant, this promise. God says this, If you walk in My statutes to Israel... Old Testament Israel, right? If you, if you walk in my statutes and observe my commandments and do them, then I will give you your rains in their season, and the land shall yield its increase, and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. Your threshing shall last to the time of the grape harvest, and the grape harvest shall last to the time for sowing. So one, of, one blessing of faithful obedience to God was a, a full and fruitful grape harvest season, among other harvests. But a full and fruitful grape harvest season. And grapes were certainly enjoyed fresh. Do you like fresh grapes? Tasty? We live in California. We're blessed with wonderful produce. They were certainly enjoyed as fresh fruit when they were ripe. But guess what? They, they didn't last long in that state. Uh, they were also dried into raisins, which were eaten plain or baked into cakes, and you'll see cakes of raisins in Scripture. However, grapes were primarily cultivated and harvested in order to make wine. That was the primary product of the grape harvest, wine. The blessing of a full and fruitful grape harvest season was that a lot of wine could be made. That was the blessing. God says, you obey, I'm going to give you a full and fruitful grape harvest season, among other harvests. And the reason that was such a blessing was because, hello, not just, we got a lot of grapes. It was like, we can make a lot of wine. And this is the picture we have in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 10. Solomon writes, you're, you're, you're vast. Now again, he's pointing back to the promise of God for faithful obedience for people under the law of God. This is his promise of blessing under the old covenant. Solomon writes, your vats, that is your wine presses, will be bursting with wine. He doesn't mention grapes. Because the blessing was really the product of the grapes. That was their juices which fermented into wine, and it's an alcoholic beverage. In Psalm 104, we read this, and this is helpful. I'll read verse 1 just so you get how this psalm starts out. Verse 1 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. And we fast forward to verse 14 and 15. Why? One of the reasons why, you cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine and bread to strengthen man's heart. So the psalmist here acknowledges that God is the one who has given man the ability to make and drink and to enjoy wine. And he praises God for this gracious provision, in addition to other good things like bread and olive oil. Those are good things as well. So you have it right there in Psalm 104. It's clear. It's a blessing from God. 
even something that is acknowledged as a product that gladdens the heart of man. Now, the second reference to wine in the opening section of Proverbs that we're going to consider is in the beginning of chapter 9. You can turn over to chapter 9. And here's God's wisdom, another portion of it related to this subject. Here, there's the personification of wisdom. God's wisdom is personified as, as a woman. And this picture, it is portrayed. God's wisdom personified as a, a gracious woman. She's prepared a, a wonderful banquet in this passage. And this wonderful banquet is to be enjoyed by all who would accept her invitation. Well, let's, let's read. Starting in verse 1. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. And real quick, to, to say that she has mixed the wine does not mean that she has diluted it with water, watered it down or anything. It, it, it means that she has mixed it with honey or spices in order to make it even more flavorful and enjoyable. So she has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. Verse 3, she has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, Come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. So, this illustration likens the benefits of godly wisdom to a luxurious steak and wine dinner. And we had talked about this as well. It likens the benefits of God's wisdom to a luxurious and steak and wine dinner. And Solomon's point is that God's wisdom, with this illustration, God's wisdom will nourish us, strengthen us, satisfy us, and gladden our hearts. Do you see the comparison, the similarity? So what we can draw from this passage about wine is that we can see, again, that is a blessing. It is portrayed as a good and desirable beverage. That's how it's portrayed. That's how it's assumed in Proverbs. It is considered to be a treat. We can also see that God approves of its consumption. I mean, if he didn't, think about it, then Solomon wouldn't portray the wisdom of God as someone who invites her guests to drink the wine she has mixed. So just by the implication of or observing these passages, we see that it's assumed that it is a good thing. It is a blessing. It is a desirable thing. It's something that God approves of, approves of uh, to be consumed. Now, generally speaking, based on these two mentions of wine in the beginning of the book of Proverbs, we can see that wine, and again, by way of application, right, as well as beer and other alcoholic beverages, we can see by way of implication that they are good gifts from God that, that people may make and drink and enjoy if they so choose. And with that being said, now let's turn to Proverbs chapter 20, verse 1, where we have Solomon's first direct instructions concerning alcoholic beverages. 
This is where we get into the direct wisdom instruction. So we saw what is assumed, and now we're going to get into his teaching on this specific subject. Chapter 20, verse 1. Wine is a mocker, strong drink a brawler, and whoever is led astray by it is not wise. So first of all, let me clarify the term strong drink. When you read that, what would you think of? Hard liquor, maybe? Strong drink. Yeah, hard liquor, I guess. Distilled beverages, which, yeah, hard liquor, strong drink, spirits. However, these kinds of beverages, distilled beverages, were not developed until a, a thousand years after the last book of the Bible was written. They, they came later in human civilization, later in history. The Hebrew word that is translated as strong drink here is, is derived from the verb that means to be or become intoxicated. Therefore, this word is to believe to be just a general term that refers to any intoxicating drink, any alcoholic drink. And in ancient times, just so we understand it correctly, we're reading the Bible in biblical times, in ancient times, that would have been either wine or beer. That's it. Fermented fruit juice or fermented starch from grains. Those are made in ancient civilizations. It's either wine or beer. Nonetheless, this proverb and other related passages we're going to look at, they, they still apply to the consumption of any kind of alcoholic beverage that we might have today. Now, we've already established that wine and, and other alcoholic drinks are, in general, they're just assumed and, and, and uh, considered blessings of God that we may consume and enjoy if we so choose. We've established that. However, the blessing of such drinks becomes a curse. They become a curse when they are consumed in excess to the point of intoxication. You see that? So, in and of themselves, good, blessing. They can become a curse if they are consumed in excess to the point of intoxication. Whoever is led astray by them is not wise. That's the direct instruction and wisdom. If you are led astray by them, you are not wise. Literally, the text says that whoever staggers, whoever loses their ability to walk straight because of these drinks is not wise. So right here, we can see it is clear. Solomon condemns drunkenness. He condemns it. He doesn't condemn the alcoholic drinks, he condemns the abuse of these drinks. To say that wine is a mocker and that strong drink is a brawler does not mean that, that they are inherently evil. And Sol Solomon's already affirmed them as blessings from God, right? So we can't isolate this one verse and say, see, it's evil. Those drinks are the devil, right? I mean, they're just, they're just liquid and they have alcohol in them, Okay. We've already established that they, they are assumed to be blessings of God. So when Solomon says that wine is a mocker and strong drink is a brawler, what he means by this statement is that when they are consumed in excess, uh, to the point of drunkenness, they turn a person into a mocker and a brawler. When a person consumes alcohol to the point of intoxication, he becomes 
arrogant and obnoxious, loud and disruptive, and even violent and destructive. I mean, that's the general results. It's not good. Drinking to the point of intoxication is a sin. It's evil in God's eyes. Drunkenness will take away your understanding. It will cause you to be physically and mentally impaired, and as a result, it will lead you into all sorts of foolish and sinful behavior that will have painful and destructive consequences. It's sin. Devastating effects. And as disciples of Jesus Christ, we are commanded, if we turn to the New Testament, we see it's plain as day, Ephesians 5.18, do not get drunk with wine. For that is debauchery, but be filled with what? The Spirit. It doesn't say do not drink wine at all, ever. Don't touch it. It says do not get drunk with wine. Why? Because it's debauchery. It's evil. Rather be filled with the Spirit. In other words, what Paul, the Apostle Paul means in that statement, in that verse is that we must not fill our stomachs with alcohol so that we are led and controlled by it, so that it takes over and it exercises mastery over us. Rather, we should be filling... What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? We should be filling our minds with the Word of Christ and the knowledge and wisdom of God so that we are led and controlled by the Holy Spirit. You fill your belly with alcohol, that alcohol is going to lead you and control you, turn you into a mocker and a brawler. You fill your mind with the Word of God and the wisdom of God. That is the means by which the Spirit of God will control and lead and guide you. Elsewhere in the New Testament, we could see this is the consistent teaching the elders of the local church. There are qualifications for men to become elders in the local church. And according to 1 Timothy 3.3 and Titus 1.7, they must not be drunkards. Those who serve under the elders, who are referred to as deacons, according to 1 Timothy 3.8, Paul says they must not be addicted to much wine. Must not be addicted to much wine. And according to Titus 2, men in the church in general are commanded to be sober-minded. Sober-minded. Literally, to be very moderate in their drinking of alcohol. To be very moderate if they choose to drink at all. And that that phrase, sober-minded, or that term can apply, broadly speaking, to, to not do other things in excess, to basically have self-control. But it does literally refer as well to being sober. And women in the church in general, in Titus 2 as well, they are commanded to not be slaves to much wine. Slaves to much wine. Now, when we look back at Proverbs 20, verse 1, we see that it's, it's foolish and sinful to consume alcoholic beverages in excess because of the debilitating and evil effects they will have on our minds and on our behavior. This proverb is a, a clear prohibition against 
what? Drunkenness. And it's also a word of caution regarding alcohol in general. The general principle of wisdom here is that if you choose to drink, you must drink in moderation. Isn't that a good general principle to apply actually to a, pretty much everything in life? I mean, is it really, is too much of any good thing really good? I mean, the, the goodness of it can be appreciated really in moderation, but in excess, a lot of things have devastating impacts. So the principle is drink in moderation if you choose to drink at all. There's a word of caution. You must exercise and maintain self-control, restraint, which requires discipline. And Solomon said earlier, fools despise discipline. So we must not take this enjoyable blessing and put it to sinful use. Either drink in moderation or abstain from alcohol altogether. That's really the two options. You abstain altogether, you drink in moderation. Now let's look at Proverbs 21.17. You can turn over there. Proverbs 21, verse 17. And this, Solomon writes, whoever loves pleasure will be a poor man. He who loves wine and oil will not be rich. This is another warning, not solely about wine. Now, the word pleasure here is a Hebrew word for jubilation, for jubilation, which is not just the, the feeling of joy, but the display of that joy as well. When we feel tremendous joy, we often express it in some form of festive celebration. Is jubilation good? Well, sure. Joy is good. You like, you like to be joyful, don't you? Festive celebrations, great. Wonderful. These may involve singing, shouting, drinking, feasting, anointing oneself with oil, which, I mean, they did that in ancient times. I guess you still put on cologne or lotion or perfume. Dancing, or some combination of these things. It's festive, joyful celebration. Right? This is a good thing. Throughout Scripture, jubilation is most often portrayed in a positive light. In a good light. It's a good thing. However, what we see in this proverb is basically a warning against excessive indulgence in wine and oil and really in partying in general. So if you love to party and you party all the time because you love the pleasures of partying, and if you love to drink and you drink all the time because you love the pleasure of drinking, well then, first of all, you will very likely suffer financially. That's where we're gathering from this proverb. You'll likely suffer financially because so much of your money will be blown on these activities. And this is just common sense, isn't it? I mean, it's not, it's not cheap to party and indulge in delicacies and booze. Second of all, the love of partying, the love of partying, the love of festive celebration, the love of jubilation, and the love of wine or other alcoholic beverages is evidence of a spiritual problem. It's a, a form of idolatry. As is, for example, the love of money. Is money evil? Is it inherently evil? What's evil? It's the love of money. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. 
So this proverb shows that it's evil when it, it is something that you love. And it shows that someone is living for and devoted to earthly pleasure rather than God. That's why it's a form of idolatry. If you love, for and, if you love and live for earthly pleasure, then your devotion and really your worship is going towards that, not to God. There's a conflict of interest, just like the love of money. Where is your heart? One commentator writes this, this proverb, 21.17, this proverb does not imply that pleasure or wine or oil are wrong in themselves. But when they are enjoyed apart from thanksgiving to God or enjoyed more than following in God's paths, they will destroy a person's life. So what we can draw from this proverb specifically about wine and beer and other alcoholic beverages is that while we may enjoy them in moderation, we should never be obsessed with them. That we should never think of them as the source of happiness. We should never get to the point of thinking that we can't live without them. Because if you're thinking that, there's a problem. It's an idolatry problem. It's a worship problem. We should love and worship the giver, not the gift. Now let's consider Proverbs 23, 19-21, a small passage here. Turn over to that one. Verse 19 and 23. Solomon writes this, Hear, my son, be wise, and direct your heart in the way. Be not among drunkards or among gluttonous eaters of meat. For the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty, and slumber will clothe them with rags. So the warning that we see in verse 21, that last verse, regarding alcohol is similar to the one we just read in 21.17, where it says that the one who loves wine will not be rich. Here it says, the drunkard will come to poverty. And here it also points to a specific reason why that's the case. Why is that the case? Solomon says that it is slumber that will clothe the drunkard in rags. Slumber will clothe them in rags. Drinking a lot of alcohol will make you drowsy. That is one of the effects of drunkenness. It'll make you drowsy. And and if you're drowsy, then guess what? You're going to be sluggish. And if you're sluggish, then you won't want to work. Or if you're attempting to work at all, you'll be very ineffective and unproductive. You'll work less and you'll put less effort into working. And for someone who is a habitual heavy drinker, this is an ongoing, continual problem. The drowsiness from his drinking will lead him to squander opportunities to work and to make a living, and his foolish habit will send him on a downward spiral towards poverty. That's the warning. Notice that the same, before we continue on, notice what else is mentioned in this passage. The same is said of the glutton. The one who has no restraint when it comes to food and is an excessive eater. But we live in America. Oh, I can eat buffets and, you know, I mean, there's, there's 
this sense of approval in our culture of excessive indulgence and overeating. And obviously, maybe there, there's more of a caution against overdrinking, and for good reason why. I mean, absolutely, the damaging effects of excessive drinking are far worse and far greater than overeating, right? But nonetheless, we have in Scripture, we have in the book of God's wisdom, Wisdom 101, this warning against excess in both food and drink. So we, we see also that habitual overeating is like habitual heavy drinking in the sense that it induces drowsiness and sluggishness, which inhibits diligent work and depletes one's resources, ultimately. So this passage addresses the folly of overindulgence, excessiveness, overindulgence in food and drink. Now look at verse 20. We'll step back one. This is the primary instruction in light of the debilitating and damaging effects of drunkenness. And yes, of course, gluttony as well, but we're going to keep our focus on the subject of drunkenness. We're still in chapter 23. This is verse 20. Here's what Solomon says. Be not among drunkards. Do not join yourself with them, in other words. Do not closely associate with them. Do not remain in their company. That's his instruction. That's his exhortation. Why? Well, because their excessive habits and lack of discipline will likely rub off on you in some way. I mean, who you associate with matters. Their habits and lack of discipline will likely rub off on you in some way, whether it's causing you to think lightly of their sin, or whether it's enticing you to join them in their folly. I mean, whatever it is, there's an influence that's happening, that's occurring by your association, by your continual uh, friendly association and participation or uh, remaining in their company. So disassociation from those who are habitual heavy drinkers it's not, it's not being unkind, okay? It's not, not being unkind. It's not being self-righteous. Well, I don't want to appear self-righteous. I mean, hey, who am I to judge? So we're going to go out and, you know, go party and stuff or, you know, hang out all the time. Solomon says you need to have discernment with the company you keep for the sake of your own soul. It's not unkind or self-righteous to disassociate from corrupting influences influences, it's being wise. It is wisdom. This is the book of wisdom. The Apostle Paul warned in the New Testament in 1 Corinthians 15.33, he said, do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. This is a common sense. It's a basic truth. And Paul's saying, don't, don't be deceived. And this applies to so many things and including this area. So if we're to be wise with regard to alcoholic beverages, then we must not only exercise restraint, drink in moderation, or not at all, we must also refrain from keeping close company with those who habitually drink to the point of intoxication. That is a corrupting influence. Now there's one more passage in Proverbs that we're going to look at this morning, and that's Proverbs 23, 29-35. It's a larger passage here. 
And this is specifically targeting the issue of drinking. It begins with a riddle in verse 29 and the answer to that riddle in verse 30. Now imagine you're picking this up for the first time, you never read it, you're like, okay, I'm going to read a riddle, let's see if I can figure it out. Pretend you didn't hear the answer. Let's just look at verse 29. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaining? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? Can you figure it out? Then we go to verse 30. We get our answer. Those who tarry long over wine. Those who go to try mixed wine. And that statement there literally says those who go to search out a mixing vessel. You've got to search out the jug. Who experiences all these kinds of troubles? And likely all at once. Those who don't exercise restraint when it comes to wine and drink in excess. Whether it's one time or on a regular basis. One commentator says this, the drunkard has emotional problems. Woe and sorrow. Woe is me. He has social problems, strife, and complaints. You see, even there you see that it doesn't just affect you, it affects others. You can be a nuisance and even a harm to those around you. You can stir up strife and be the cause of that. Alcohol leads to physical problems, bruises from beatings, or from injuries suffered while staggering under the influence. Bloodshot or blackened eyes. Some believe that that term means darkened eyes and not bloodshot, but maybe a black eye. Either way, either one of those, perhaps the blurred vision of a drunken stupor. That's, that's the description here. This is what awaits you if you don't drink in moderation. It's very appealing, isn't it? All this and more could be yours if you would just throw caution to the wind and indulge. I mean, you can see what, why Solomon's presenting it this way. He's, it's trying to, he's trying to give us some motivation to not even go there. And he gives this following instruction in verse 31. This is the the direct command in this whole passage. Do not look at wine when it's red, when it sparkles in the cup and goes down smoothly. And here Solomon describes wine as being seductive. It's similar to the way he described the seductiveness of the forbidden woman. We talked about that area of temptation. If we just look, for example, at chapter 6, verse 23-25, Solomon wrote, The reproofs of discipline are the way of life, verse 24, to preserve you from the evil woman, from the smooth tongue of the adulteress. Do not desire her beauty in your heart and do not let her capture you with her eyelashes. I mean, you can start with the look, right? And here's Solomon describing wine. Don't look at it when it's red, when it's sparkling in the cup. I mean, literally, it's like winking at you. As it goes down smoothly, just washes down. I mean, that, that appeal to the senses, right? I mean, this is, this is seduction. Obviously, Solomon's not saying that wine is 
always seductive, and therefore we should never look at it and never drink it. Nor is he saying that we, we just mustn't look at it while we drink it. Just close your eyes. <laughs> pretend that it's not red for some reason. Here's the point. Here's the point. I mean, we read this, right? So again, the reason we went in this order, the verses we looked at, is so we could, uh, we don't want to isolate one verse and think that applies, that's kind of the end-all, be-all about the subject, right? So we, we start off with the fact that, yes, good thing, blessing, it's acceptable to enjoy in moderation, right? Because it's something that can cause great destruction and damage and harm, painful consequences, drunkenness is the sin. And so, what we have here is Solomon's point that not that we should never look at it, not touch it, not that we shouldn't look at it while we drink it. His point is that we should not allow the alluring qualities of wine or any other alcoholic beverages uh, to entice us to throw caution to the wind and abandon the principle of moderation and give ourselves over to it. To it. I mean, that's how seduction works, right? The enticements, the reeling in, and the getting to the point of decision where you decide, I'm going all in. I'm going to indulge. I'm going to throw wisdom, cast wisdom aside, cast aside restraints, and give, dive headlong into this pleasure. That's the picture here. And by the way, I mean, you've seen how maybe some alcoholic beverages, I mean, a glass of wine or even some mixed drinks. I mean, they get all creative ways to make them so pretty, so fanciful, beautiful to look at. Oh, they catch the eye. They're like, hey, come here, drink me. I'm tasty. Right? I mean, it's like the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes. So here, here's the application for us. If you feel this temptation set in, then you need to cut yourself off. And we've already applied the principle of moderation, but this is at any point. And this could be before you even consume anything. If you're looking at it, those martinis are beautiful. You know, I mean, if for some reason you're feeling some kind of pull and there's a concern there, Solomon's saying cut yourself up. Just stop looking at that drink. Set it down. Walk away. Go drink some water. Now, wine is a blessing to enjoy in moderation. It may gladden your heart, but guess what? It, may, it must never, never captivate your heart. If we can maybe milk this illustration. It must never captivate our hearts. So if you fail to heed this instruction and you are just enraptured with the enjoyable qualities of an alcoholic beverage, Solomon warns in verse 32... In the end, it bites like a serpent and stings like an adder. Well, that sounds nice. Intoxication is the venomous bite of alcohol. Here are just some of its effects. He goes on, verse 33. Your eyes will see strange things, and your heart will utter perverse things. You'll be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea, like one who lies on the top of a mast. You ever been on a small boat in a large body of water? Anyone? 
Well, he's saying you'll be standing on solid ground and you'll be reeling around as if you're on a little boat in the middle of the ocean being cast around or up in a mass, swaying to and fro. And then verse 35, they struck me, you will say, but I was not hurt. They beat me, but I didn't feel it. When shall I awake? I must have another drink. <laughs> and again, I'm not, not trying to make light of the subject, but it, it is a sad and pitiful picture. It, it's almost humorous. Because, and, and here's what wisdom will do. The teaching in Proverbs, we'll see it. It does actually use sarcasm, and it does actually mock folly. It mocks sin. It's saying, how foolish, how stupid to, to do this to yourself. To give yourself over to this and, and to welcome these effects. So this is what it's like to be controlled by wine. I mean, there we have it. You have a, a very accurate description in Scripture. You don't need to, let well, well, see, I'm going to try for myself and see. I mean, it's right there. It's not good. This is what it's like to be under the influence, under the control of alcohol. It's shameful. It is destructive. Intoxication will make you senseless to the point that even in the midst of your drunken stupor, you may desire to continue drinking and even plan in your heart to drink heavily again after you've sobered up. It makes you dumb. Foolish. Thus begins the slippery slope towards alcohol addiction. Scripture says that God through the prophet Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 5, 11, says, Woe to those who rise early in the morning, that they may run after strong drink, who tarry late into the evening as wine inflames them. They live for it, love it. They dive headlong into excessive indulgence. Woe to that conduct. So what we've seen this morning is that wine and beer and other alcoholic beverages, yes, gracious blessings from God, yes, they may be consumed and enjoyed, but we've also seen that we can live without them. You know, they're not necessities in life, are they? If we choose to drink them, we must do so in moderation. Never forget that principle. In moderation. We must never drink them to the point of intoxication, and we must set them aside if we are tempted to do so. We must not think lightly of drunkenness. And that's important too. Culture, we talked about the company you keep. You know, culture also has heavy influence on the way you think. The, maybe the programs you watch, where it's television, movies, songs you listen to, whatever, they can kind of condition you to think, drunkenness, kind of funny, fun, good times, not really horrible consequences, just maybe being silly. And they can kind of persuade you that it's not so bad. And to stop thinking the way God thinks about drunkenness. So we must not think lightly of it, and we must be cautious in avoiding it altogether even disassociating from those who are characterized by it so that we might not be influenced towards this type of behavior that dishonors Christ and has devastating consequences. And there's such a, a vast subject, and we're just scratching the surface, but what we did was we started in 
God's book of wisdom, Wisdom 101, our starting point, our foundational teaching concerning it, and it gives us guiding principles for life, and it gives us guiding principles on this subject. And just some final points here. You know, we have this general freedom to drink and enjoy alcoholic beverages, but that does not mean that everyone should. There's the general truth, but now we can get into the specific application to the individual. Not everyone should. Here are some reasons to abstain. You shouldn't drink if it's in violation of the law of the land. In the U.S., that's, what, 21 years of age, right? You can't drink if it's in violation of the law of the land. You shouldn't drink if you lack the self-control to drink in moderation. If you know you lack the self-control, or if you think you might lack the self-control, you shouldn't drink. You shouldn't drink if you have a history of alcohol addiction. Why would you do that? I mean, if it had such a strong hold on you in your life at any point, why even open up that door for that sin to possibly set in and entangle and ensnare you and lead you back down that path? You shouldn't drink if you believe it is wrong or unwise for you to do so. I mean, if you personally think, your conscience speaks and says, I think it's just wrong for it. Like, I, th- I think it's wrong for me to drink. Or, you know, maybe it's not even necessarily a black and white moral problem for you, but you think, it, I just don't think it's wise for me. Then you should abstain. Because it actually would be sin, according to scriptures, it's sin to violate your conscience. Because you're doing it not in faith, you're doubting, and you think there's some kind of moral dilemma, but you're violating what you think is wrong. And that's sin. So go with your conscience on this issue, but your conscience is related to your personal practice, your personal conduct, right? You don't impose your particular views on everything. We just looked at what the biblical view is. And obviously, this goes without saying, you shouldn't drink if you don't care for the taste of alcoholic beverages. You don't have to. I mean, God's not, not saying, you know, I give you great parts, you're going to drink the wine, and I'm filling your vats, you better drink it all, all of you. No, it is a blessing if you choose to enjoy. And here's what I want to do. I just want to close with just a, a reading of a, a few references to passages in the New Testament, just to be uh, some reflections on what Scripture says to us as followers of Jesus Christ. If anyone is in Christ, Paul says in 2 Corinthians, if anyone's in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself. And the Apostle Peter says, we are to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices. That is your old way of life before God saved you. The time that has passed suffices for doing what the Gentiles, the the unbelievers, want to do. Living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. In Galatians, Paul writes, You were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. 
In Ephesians 5.18, we had read this, do not get drunk with wine, for it's debauchery, but what are we to do? Be filled with the Spirit. And finally, in Galatians, Paul says, walk by the Spirit, and guess what? You will not gratify the sinful desires of the flesh. So we can, we can see that how the New Testament, how Scripture gives us principles to guide us in this area as well. And, and in closing, I just want to say, if, if there are any further questions you might have on the subject, I know we've just scratched the surface, come talk to me after service uh, or email me, and I'd be happy to interact with you on any passage that the Bible has dealing with the subject. There's so many to look at. There are so many arguments out there on different sides of the issue. But I trust that today is what we looked at. It was the general foundational wisdom and instruction from God's Word to give us a biblical perspective on alcoholic beverages. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning so far, and we do thank you for your Word. We do thank you for giving us just common sense, common moral sense and guidance that we might not be led astray by alcohol, uh, by any uh, earthly pleasures, Lord, and in helping us have a, just a, a rounded, well-rounded perspective on, on this subject, Lord. We, we thank you for the good gifts that you give and the, the blessings that they are, but we also pray that, you, Lord, you would help us to restrain ourselves from perverting those into curses, to, to putting them to sinful use. And we do pray that we would be not known for our consumption of certain foods or drink, but we would be known for our devotion to you and that we would be marked as those who are walking by the Spirit and not gratifying the sinful desires of the flesh. Help us to live lives that are pleasing to you and increasing in holiness by the work of your Spirit who dwells within us and enables us to do so. In Jesus' name, amen.